question for you. Have you ever run away? When AWOL disappeared? Uh, I, I think if we sat down afterwards and shared stories, we'd find that almost all of us at some point have run away. Uh, you might not even realize you've done it. And uh, if we shared our stories, most of them uh, would have some similarities, and some of them would be quite funny. Uh, what we're going to see tonight is a, uh, a young man that runs away that's not so funny. But in our story, uh, if, if we pay careful attention and listen, we'll see, uh, we'll see something about ourselves as well. Our text is Luke 15, 11 to 32. Uh, please follow along as I read. And Jesus said, uh, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Pray with me. Jesus, we pray that you would uh, draw near to us, Lord, and enable us to enter the party of uh, the celebration of joy that you uh, are always partaking of as people draw close to you. We ask you to sing in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. I distinctly remember packing my bag. I don't remember how old I was. And I certainly don't remember what I'd done wrong. I had done something improper, inappropriate, punishable immediately. I knew uh, my father was coming. There would be judgment, and I had to save myself, so I fled. I, I gathered everything I needed. I uh, got my bag. thought I had everything I needed. I had my bag. Went downstairs, bottled some water, packed away a couple of canned goods. Went back upstairs, climbed out onto the roof of my house, and jumped uh, in order to make my escape unseen. Don't worry about it. I did this all the time. Uh, this explains my son in more ways than you realize. Uh, to make my, my escape unseen, I was running away. And uh, I quickly made my way back through the woods behind my house and found a nice little secluded spot where no one would find me. And uh, happy as a lark with a song in my heart, I, uh, I enjoyed myself, my newfound freedom. The thought that my family would soon be pining over me and feel so guilty and terrible for the injustice they were about to execute on me for not understanding their poor son and his inappropriate behavior sometimes. Um, and then I got hungry. And uh, I, I had prepared for this. Uh, I had food, but what I had forgotten is a can opener. <laughs> I believe defeated. I retreated back to my house. <laughs> I 
matching in my plan how, you know, trying to save some dignity, save some face, thinking I'll, I'll play it up, my, my parents will certainly be worried, and I'll, I'll teach them what will happen if they behave like this again. I'll just run away. They'll know better. Well, I got home and I realized uh, no one knew I'd been gone. Hadn't even missed me. If I, if I thought somehow I was going to escape punishment by running away, I was wrong. If I thought I was going to punish my parents uh, by my behavior, I was wrong. My escape and my plan had completely failed. Uh, we're going to see tonight in our story uh, a guy who is running from his father. And I'm going to contend tonight that we're all running. We all do, at different times, and in different ways. There's sort of a universal phenomenon that we all run from our Heavenly Father. Whether we're fearing punishment, like I was, or we're seeking freedom and liberty, uh, autonomy maybe, like this younger guy in our text is doing, uh, we're all running. And uh, that's not the only thing we share in common. We tend to think that's the problem. It's not really the big problem. It's a problem that we run from our Father. It's not the chief problem. Uh, the chief problem is we don't know what we're missing. We don't realize what it is we're missing, and therefore we're slow to return. While we're gone, while we're thinking about coming back, we're hatching plans for how to make things up, we're making debt reparation programs in our head, how we're going to make our father happy with us again. And we're missing the whole point. We miss the point. We don't see that what the father wants is a relationship. We don't see that he's a God, a father full of love and grace. And so whether you're a Christian that struggles to be joyful and loving, see that God is loving, or whether you're someone that's grappling with whether Christianity is true or not, it's true of almost all of us that we run and we're slow to come back. And we don't understand it's all about a relationship, about a God that loves us well. We're going to see in our text tonight that we're all runaways. And though we're all runaways, uh, we have a God that showers grace on us. And when we see His grace, we'll share His joy. So we're all runaways, but we'll share in the Father's joy when we see His grace. Uh, what we have in our text is sort of a three-act play. It'll become clear as we move along. And in the first act, we see uh, a relationship projected. In the second, we're going to see, uh, well, <coughs> an attempt to repair the relationship. It doesn't go too well. Yeah, we'll repair the damage. And then the third one, we're going to see the relationship restored. So first, the relationship rejected. And uh, our story introduces us to his father and two sons. We're going to be looking at them next week, too. Uh, quite a family here, these two boys. Um, we don't get any kind of background information. We don't know if they were cute little boys and they once got along and they did well in high school. We don't know any of that. Instead, right off the bat, we get the ugly stuff. Uh, we have the younger son. And uh, we see, right off the bat, an improper request, an inappropriate request from the son in verse 12. Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. Well, it may not seem particularly inappropriate or improper to you, but in many places in the world today, and certainly in most places in the world at that time, the typical and, I must say, justified response of the father would have been, viciously beat his son while driving him from the house. Because this is what the father would have heard. Dad, I'd like for you to die. I really want my stuff, which I know I can't have until you're dead, so could you do me a favor and hurry up and die, please? It was completely inappropriate, never done, that a 
healthy father would give away his possessions before his death. What was normal was, as his death uh, drew near, he would gather his possessions, divide them among his sons, but we have a healthy father here. And this request literally is the son saying, Dad, I really want my stuff more than I want you alive. Can you give me the stuff? So I can go. So I can go away. And uh, that's an improper request. And what we see immediately afterward, all these ramifications, all these things fall out. First thing we see is the father commits suicide. Sort of. Hang with me. Because the father here does something no one would ever do. He grants the request. And that day and time, this is sort of uh, illustrated in the brother, movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? They're all sitting around the fire talking about what they'd like to have. And uh, I forgot his name. The short little guy. Delbert. Basically says, I want land. You ain't got no kind of man if you ain't got land. Well, this is the family property. It's been in the family for generations and generations. To give away your property before you died was unheard of. It was the end of his livelihood. It was the end of his life. Everyone would have considered him almost dead. And his father does something no one would ever do. No one would do this. He gives it away. Well, that's the first thing we see. Uh, he also divides this, when he divides the property, he gives it to the older son as well, who got more. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, but then what happens? Well, the younger son uh, has his stuff, but he can't very well take it all with them. It's hard to uh, move with like cattle and sheep and acreage. So he probably liquidated his assets. He sold it in the community, a community which by this time hated his guts and despised him because what he did was terribly shameful and inappropriate. So he had to go around and sell all this stuff, earning enemies. And then he takes his leave, moves off to some far country, which is probably what he wanted to do all along. And so it is the case at the end of the very, at the very end of the story, in verse 24, with this relationship fractured. Um, he says, uh, "This my son was dead." For all intents and purposes, we have here the father committing suicide and the son dying. The son has broken the relationship. It's not reconciled. He moves away forever. It's over. The relationship is broken. It's been rejected. Okay, well, unexpected things tend to happen when you travel abroad. Um, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. And, and this poor fellow, uh, we don't know exactly know how he did it, but uh, verse 13 makes it pretty clear that he squandered his property in reckless living. We don't know if this was immoral or just foolish. He got uh, hornswoggled. You know, he got taken to he got taken to town on some crooked deal. Uh, but whatever the case it is, he blows the whole lot pretty quickly, and uh, he's left with almost nothing. It's at times like this that we begin to realize things about ourselves. And what we see here is this guy is trying to put things together, repairing things. Is he comes to a realization? He turns to religion. It's not necessarily a good thing. The realization's a good thing. He sees himself. Uh, in verse 15 and 16, as uh, things began to get really bad, after he spent everything, a famine arose, he realized, I have no resources and I have no friends. And he does something that no self-respecting citizen of that day would have done, much less a faithful Jew. Uh, this job he takes is the kind of job where someone walks up and says, hey, can you give me some work? And they're like, I really want to get rid of you. What can I get you to do? Uh, can you shovel the manure out back? No one will take that job, right? 
This guy says, I'll take it, because he's absolutely desperate. So he goes out, and he tends pigs, and he longs to fill his belly uh, with these peas, basically. And that's, I actually tell you, the peas, uh, it's the case that even if he had eaten all the peas he wanted to, he would have still been hungry because they provided no nourishment. Uh, the guy is starving to death. And in the midst of his need, in the midst of his pain and his longing, he comes to himself, verse 17 says. He sees himself. Uh, one of the Christian writers, uh, C.S. Lewis, wrote that God tends to whisper. On a daily basis, he whispers to us through his word and by his spirit. When he really wants to get our attention, he shouts to us through the microphone of pain. And that's what we have here. Uh, this man comes to see himself in the midst of his desperation. And when you're starving to death, you tend to be pretty desperate. Uh, he sees himself, he's slapped back into reality uh, by his need, by his longing. He's trying to figure out, how did I get here? Is there a way out of this? I read a couple, uh, maybe a year ago, about an Ohio inmate who escaped prison. And in this desperate flight, literally running from the police, he jumped the fence thinking he escaped them. He turned around and realized, I've just jumped into another prison. <laughs> Literally, he jumped from one prison into another. <laughs> and uh, I'm not making that story up. I'm not making it up. And uh, this is what we often do. We think our father is this oppressive monarch. He's trying to squeeze the life and joy out of us. And so we flee for life and autonomy. We want to do whatever we want to do. And before long, we've wandered far off, farther than we ever thought we would, and we find ourselves in need. Lonely. Things haven't quite worked out the way they thought they would. Sinful habits and addictions that we've uh, sort of caressed and comforted ourselves with so long. The, the law of diminishing returns has sprung up, and they're just not giving us the comfort that we thought they would. Instead, they're making us shameful and guilty. They're sapping our time. They're affecting our life. And we wonder, how did I get here? How do I get out? What most of us tend to do at this time is what this guy does. He starts making a plan, a plan to save himself. Well, this is what I'm going to call religion. He makes a plan to save himself, and we see this in uh, verse 17 and 18. He realizes, well, my father is good. He's so good that even his hired servants have lots of bread. So I'm going to rise and go to my father. That's good. It's a good part of the plan. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. That's good. No longer worthy to be called your son. Absolutely true. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And this is where the plan goes off the tracks. It may appear to be a humble request. It might appear to be a workable plan. Uh, but in reality, it's not that at all. It helps understand what a hired servant was. A hired servant was a free man. He wasn't a slave. He was someone that worked the property. He was hired sort of like a sub subcontractor. And, but he lived wherever he wanted. He did whatever he wanted. Um, he got paid well for it. And uh, I think the plan of the son here is to sort of work for his dad, but to have his independence, which he prizes so much he ran to a far country, and slowly repay back the debt he owed. The problem in the son's eyes isn't the broken relationship. It's that I, I squandered all this money, and I've got to make it back. So I'm going to hire myself out and make some money and pay him back and live on my own. That seems to be the plan. The problem in his eyes isn't the relationship, it's the debt. And he still wants his liberty. 
this plan, with this plan, he comes back, yes, destitute, skinny, smelling like pigs. But he has a plan. He has a plan to perform. He's going to work. And that's what we tend to do as well. That's what we tend to do with God when we find ourselves far out in the field. This is what we think God, our Father, wants. That's why we're so slow to return sometimes. We're too busy hatching our debt repayment plans. How do I make up for everything I've done? How do I punish myself? How do I pile guilt on my head enough where I've suffered enough where I can actually come back to God? Maybe I need to like cut myself off from something. Maybe I need to cut something off. This is the way we think. It really is. Because we think we can't come back to the Father unless we paid a debt. This is religion, and it's not the main problem. The main problem here is the relationship. The, the son and us, we forget two things. First, the son forgets that he's dead. Literally, well, figuratively, but pretty much dead. He's on the verge of starvation. He has no resources. Uh, he can't even feed the pigs right. He's going to go back to his dad with his plan. And actually, the, the language here is, make me one of your servants. In the original language, it's really, Father, please craft me into one of your servants. Not just appoint me one of your servants. These servants are like skilled artisans and craftsmen. The implication is, this guy's got no skill. He doesn't know how to do anything. Uh, Can you make me one of your servants? Can you teach me how to do something and let me do it? He has nothing to offer. He's got nothing to offer. And that's us. We come back. A mess. We've got nothing to offer. And we've got this plan. Here, God, I've got a plan for you, Father. I'm going to work for you. We forget that the main problem is a relationship, something we can't fix. You can't pay your way back into the relationship. Except for Kobe Bryant did with his wife. <gasps> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. He's a big Kobe fan. I'll have to apologize to him for that later. We can't fix the main problem, um, which is that we've broken the relationship for all intents and purposes. We're dead. We've got nothing to offer. What hope is there for us? Um, the hope for us is what happens in this text. That we're going to come back to our Father with our plan in hand and start our thing. And, and the whole plan is going to be hijacked. We see that in uh, verse 20. He arose and came to his Father, but he's on the way. He's got his plan. And the plan's cut off. It's our only hope for the restoration of this relationship. And what we see here in this relationship restored first is that the son is seen by the father. While he was far off, his father saw him. Now, if you're the son coming back in this condition, literally no one ever expects you to come back. I can't stress this enough. I read some of the literature... Uh, an expert looked into this and said, in the known history of talking to thousands of different people in villages all over the ancient world, uh, both looking at the research and currently looking at the communities like this, in no instance did a son in this condition ever come back. It was just too much shame. He was dead. He would never come back. This carcass drags himself back to the community. If you were him, you would come in under cover of night, right? Incognito, maybe? Um, because the community, if they see you, literally, the community would all come out of the fields, out of their houses, line up the streets, and mock you. They would actually have a celebration celebrating your death. That's what they would do. I'm serious. The 
father sees the son, and the son undergoes none of that. None of it. Why? The father sees him far off and showers him with grace. And we see it here that the father sees him and feels compassion. Why? Why feel compassion? Uh, the, the word here is this deep, guttural feeling, movement. It's literally a physical movement within the father's being. I love my son. This, this kid of yours wished you were dead. He considered you dead. He rejected you and said he'd rather go play in some foreign country than be around you. And you have compassion. How do you explain this? This is a father's love. He's compassionate. And he ran. Cicero, the uh, great Roman orator, philosopher, wrote, Sane men do not dance. I tend to be in agreement. <laughs> Aristotle, Aristotle wrote, um, men that want to be respected do not run in public. Something along those lines. And, and the language is similar. They're saying the same thing. An old, well-respected person takes care of how they carry themselves. They can't be seen wandering around foolishly. They have to walk in a stately, composed, somber manner. And this elderly, respected gentleman in the community runs. This is humiliating. It really is. It's humiliating. I don't know if we have a cultural equivalent, but I'll try. It's sort of like this. Whenever we take my son to a restaurant, at some point, I have to like take him out of his chair or high chair and put him down. And I'll say, Caleb, stay right there. And then I'll turn to get something. I turn, and I hear him giggling, and he's gone. <laughs> An arrow. And he's running as fast as he can, looking back, giggling maniacally, because he knows I'm coming to get him. He thinks it's a game of chase. Now, he has a lot of fun doing this. He's dodging people walking, people sticking their heads out of the booth, trying to figure out what's going on as this blonde blur makes its way to the restaurant. It's not nearly so much fun for me. You haven't noticed I'm a big guy. 6'4", 200 pounds. Running through a restaurant is not my idea of fun. I don't like to draw attention to myself. It is humiliating. I have to chase my son as fast as I can without actually running because it's humiliating. Well, it'd be much worse for this guy. Much worse. He's chasing a son that's rejected. A son that's dead to everyone. And yet he... He runs gladly, it seems. And we see that, and what happens next? He embraced his son and kissed him. Running was enough of a clue. Everyone in the town probably would have gotten the indication. This is different. His father's doing something different here. But the, the fatherly hug kisses, the seals the deal. This is grace. Grace. All of it is grace. And the son, the son gets it. I think for the first time in the story, really, the son gets it. Now, he understood before, like, I'm starving and my dad's sort of good, so I should go back there. But I come back with this plan. Here is his father showering grace on him, loving him. I think the son gets it, and he's shattered by grace. And we see it in verse 21. The son begins his rehearsed spiel. Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, Period. Where's the plan? What happened to the cold, calculated debt repayment program? Where'd it go? Don't you don't you still want like to work for me so you can pay me off? 
don't, don't you still want your autonomy? Don't you like just want to pay me off so you can live in the village? The plan is gone. Because somehow here, in the, in the midst of this father showering, just pouring his grace on his son, I, I think this kid is shattered by it. Forget this faith-saving pride. Forget the plan. He didn't expect anything like this. I think he realizes here at this moment, his father loves him. And it's about a relationship. Maybe for the first time he realizes it's about a relationship. And his last word is his best word. I am unworthy. I'm unworthy. And once again, the father doesn't let him get very far. He strikes in again, verse 20, with another butt. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. And what we see here is what I call a song of grace. I picked the word song because there's so much grace in what follows. I can think of nothing better than a musical term like a song. It's literally an outpouring of grace. He drowns out his son's grief and unworthiness and all the grace. Bring quickly the best robe. Whose robe is that? That's my robe. The father's robe. The one I wear on special occasions to the temple and to the parties. Put my best robe on my son. Give him a ring. It's probably a signet ring. Implication? There's some authority in that as well. Uh, all this is a picture to the whole community. He's not coming back on some kind of probation. I'm not going to like give him the 20 questions and know where my stuff went that he squandered. He's my son. He's got it all. All of it. He is my son. And the song was not done. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Now, a fattened calf was a big animal. And to kill a fattened calf, your plan was to feed 100 people at least. What the father is saying here is, my son is back. My dead son's alive. My lost son is found. Let's have a party. Everybody's coming. Everybody. All you people that want to mock my son, my son is here. Let's have a party. Friends, I don't know if we hear the song. Have we gotten the message? That this is what our Father is like. This is what God is like. He's a God who bears our humiliation. He doesn't make us walk the walk of shame. He sends His Son to us. He walks the walk of shame and bears it for us. We come straggling back into town and they're death-dealing ways with their repayment program and the Father says, you're my son. You can't pay, you can't pay your debts. You can't pay your debts. You don't have to pay your debts. I've covered them. Do we see His love? Do we understand how much He cares for us? So much of the time, we don't care. We don't. We we reject the relationship. We do what we want to do, hoping, assuming, it's all going to be cool. We really want the Father's stuff, but we don't always want the Father. But what does He do for us, lost sons and daughters? He gives His own son for us. In the end, He has them slaughtered. Like a calf. So that we can sing this song of joy, this song of grace over and over.
friends, I want, to, I want to say to you, whether you're someone that's struggling with whether or not Christianity is true or someone that believes it is, this is true of you. It is the inclination of your heart to run far from your Father. And we're always trying to pay our way back in. And whether you're an unbeliever struggling with whether or not you really want to trust this message, if you can trust this God, just see that you can. It's a good Father. He's not going to make you walk the walk with a shame. He comes out to you and pays the price for you. And my believing friends, you know it's true of your heart. You know you won't wander. You know you do wander. And you have here a Father. He knows all that about you. He loves you anyway. On your best days, you say, unworthy. I am unworthy. And on every day, he sings his song of grace over you. Alright, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the great God that you are. We thank you that you, you only, were the perfect son. You don't hold that against us. You don't hold that over us. Instead, you do something absolutely insane. Uh, you give us, you give yourself for sons that have rejected your father. We spurn him. We try to do whatever we want to do. We come back to him trying to establish our own terms. And you die for us. Lord, we pray you would restore our hearts in the gospel. She would help us to hear the song of grace. She would help us to join the party. I pray for those here, Lord, that might be struggling to believe this message at all. That you would help them to see, help us to see the reality of this. Help us to see clearly you, Lord Jesus, the perfect Son that gives yourself for us. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.